Well, welcome to the seventh installation of Mad Dogs and Englishmen. This one is a, has an international flavor, and not just because I'm sitting in England uh, with Kevin, having just got back from Puerto Rico, the uh, lucky dog. But uh, Ukraine is uh, falling apart in the background, and Kevin just wrote a piece about that. So I guess we'll start by, uh, by, I'll start by asking him what he, what he thinks. Well, to start with, I don't know a ton about the specific conflict, and I don't want to present myself as an expert on Ukraine or Crimea or any of that stuff. But what I am curious about is the foreign policy consensus among those of us on the right who uh, who were looking for something different after the Bush years. You know, they're paleos and libertarians and non-interventionists and isolationists and, and what have you, who generally rejected you know what we've come to call the uh, the neoconservative foreign policy approach as being overly bellicose as being you know too military first too martial too uh too finger on the trigger and um have spent the last few years i think trying to develop a credible alternative to that and i think that the russian invasion of crimea is probably the first major test of that. And I think that um, we have not conducted ourselves uh, credibly here. I don't think we've really come up with a, with a credible alternative to it so far. So you've got the White House, of course, being the Obama administration and John Kerry being John Kerry, uh, are incoherent and tepid. Uh, you've got people like Rand Paul, who's you know someone I admire a lot, uh, one of my favorite people in the Senate, giving a really non-credible response to this, saying, you know, well, there's going to be an economic price to pay for this, and, and Russia has to understand that the economic incentives are on the other side, and, you know, Putin apparently doesn't think so at all, and is playing a very different sort of economic game. So I think I'm, I'm a little disappointed in, uh, in our side right now, in that uh, whatever we've been thinking, whatever we've been doing, we figured out kind of what we're against, uh, but we haven't really figured out what we want to put in its place. No, and I'm critical of the Obama administration as a rule on these questions, even though I'm no foreign policy expert, purely because they seem to spew so much nonsense. Today, for example, he told Vladimir Putin, well, you're on the wrong side of history, which really is a stupid (laughs) phrase in and of itself. I'm sure that's a lethal thing to say in certain college faculties. But when you're dealing with international relations, and I do think there's some truth to the statement that, you know, what happened in Syria, and I didn't think we should go in, but having set a red line saying no does make you look weak. But having driven around this morning in England listening to the radio and Sir Malcolm Rifkin came on and he said, this is, the, you know, the worst uh, foreign policy problem we've had since the Cold War. And then the current foreign uh, secretary, William Hague, came on and said, this is the worst disaster of the 21st century in Europe. Uh, but then they're asked, well, what are you going to do about it? And they're extremely coy. And I'm just not sure there's a good answer. I'm not sure there is either. You know, the thing I was thinking about when I wrote the piece was, if you think about George H.W. Bush uh, in the lead up to uh, what became known as Operation Desert Storm in the first Iraq war, the thing that I think impressed people about him was that he seemed to just pull this almost unanimous coalition out of the hat overnight. Now, this was an explicitly military uh, action, but what I guess I'm sort of looking for and hoping for is if we're going to use these other tools, whether they're economic, diplomatic, you know, seizure of assets and things like that, it's not going to be enough uh, for a regime like Putin's or some of the other rogue regimes in the world for it to be a singular 
lone American response because, frankly, we don't have that much economic leverage to work with there. We're not enormous trading partners with the Russians, especially if you write write petroleum out of the uh, out of the equation. So you know we have to uh, we have to show leadership here internationally and and you know build these kinds of coalitions, whether we're looking at military action or non-military action other ways of approaching this. And it seems what we're doing instead is just kind of fumbling around. Now, partly this is because there's no real leadership in the White House, and we expect that because, you know, Obama kind of doesn't know what he's doing. But there hasn't really been among Republicans either, not in Congress, not in the Republican foreign policy establishment, uh, at least, for, you know, for people outside of the kind of traditional, well, we need to have a bigger military and go rattle our saber uh, kind of approach. So I think that those of us who um, want something different from what the Democrats have offered and something different from what the Republicans historically have offered, at least in the last decade or so, are uh, we have a lot of work ahead of us still to figure out exactly what that sort of foreign policy looks like. Well, on I the agree. subject of <laughs> waving flags and such, um, topic two. What is the deal with these kids getting kicked out of school for wearing American flag T-shirts? I saw something about it on the Drudge Report, but I was just too horrified to even read the story. So, what's up? Well, the story is that in a school in California, the... Uh, the I'm sorry, which state? Uh, in California, of course. Cal California, um, you're saying? Yeah. The Ninth Circuit decided that uh, the school, a school, is allowed to tell children to turn their American flag t-shirts inside out. That, that is not a violation. They're allowed to ban the American flag from the school, effectively, in order to keep the peace. Now, legally, uh, the precedent does actually seem to be with the Ninth Circuit's decision. The Supreme Court has, in a case called Tinker from 1969, largely agreed with the likes of Robert Bork that schools have latitude uh, to do whatever they need to do in order to keep the peace. But I'm not so much bothered by the legal question here. I'm bothered by the fact that this question had to be brought in front of the Ninth Circuit to start with. I mean, the case yeah, basically... You, you used the phrase, keep the peace twice, and I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask, but keep the peace between whom and whom? Well, between Mexican students, or at least students of Mexican origin, and American native, if you will, American students. Um, you know, the, what happened was on, on Cinco de Mayo in a school that has a history of, of racial violence, the, uh, I mean, look, I'm going to, I'm going to read you this, uh, this exact quote. I'm going to try and bring this up actually, because I think that, uh, this, this beggars belief that this happened just to give you a little background while I'm, while I'm doing it. Um, this is a school that has a history of racial violence. And it was Cinco de Mayo, and a bunch of students came in with Mexican flags, and they wanted to celebrate, and the, they were threatened to turn violent. And there's a, there's a line in the Associated Press's coverage here, um, and it says, Administrators feared the American flag shirts would inflame the passions of Latino students celebrating the Mexican holiday. And so what they did is they asked the children wearing Mexica, uh, American flag t-shirts to turn them inside out. Now... That is a heckless veto. There is absolutely no other way of looking at it. And my problem here, even if the Ninth Circuit is right, that schools aren't bound by, or school children aren't protected by the First Amendment, is that really is a very dangerous precedent to set in a school. I mean, what, what is to stop, for example, uh, 
a child saying that the Declaration of Independence drives him to violence and that therefore it should be taken down, or that Black History Month is so offensive to him that he's going to get angry in the class and, and upset the piece. Um, more to the point, uh, you know, why is it that in a, in a case where one set of students and another set of students seem to be near violence, that the foreign flag is the one that stays. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm, if I'm Vladimir Putin looking at this story, I have to think to myself that the problem in the United States <clears throat> isn't just Barack Obama and it isn't just the politicians. It's the fact that you have a country that on some level no longer believes in itself, no longer believes in its institutions, no yeah. longer is, is willing even to say, okay, when it comes between our flag and the flag of the perfectly nice country next door that happens to be a different and foreign country, we choose ours. Ah, uh, sure. And we've, we, we seem to have, we seem to have petered out on that front a little bit. I mean, as an immigrant myself, I find the prospect of my causing my host country's citizens to turn their clothes inside out hideous. I mean, I find that very, very difficult. But even if I'm a fool, and let's presume that these are a few bad eggs and they're the sort of people you can't reason with. I mean, if they're, if they're brought to violence by the side of a flag, maybe they are. But who in authority, who on the school board thought, hey, this is a controversial topic. Let's turn it into a legal fight that might go to the Supreme Court. <laughs> so what you're saying is on the 4th of July, you're not going to come into the office and pick a fight with Lowry over the uh, American flag pen on this lapel? <laughs> I think I'm absolutely not going to do that. Um, so no, I mean, you know, the, over at uh, the Veloke conspiracy, Eugene Veloke was effectively saying, we have a real problem here with, with the precedent of heckler's vetoes, and this does not send a good message, not just to these kids, but to anyone in school, because the message is, you know, threaten violence and you'll get what you want. You know, I keep trying to do this when I get my tax bill every year, and it just never <laughs> seems to work out the way I want it to. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we should make a list, though, of things that we can use heckler's vetoes on now, since this seems to be the you know, the new endorsed thing from, uh, at least from the California schools, which really set the tone, I think, for the whole American political culture. So we should definitely come up with a list of things that we're willing to, to throw some fits about. Absolutely. Well, we could get whatever we want on a whole variety of school issues. We're always complaining about what people are taught in the schools. We should just hang around the gate shouting every time they bring up Howard Zinn. <laughs> and with that, when do you return to the States? Uh, next Monday. Next Monday, so you're going to be cold and freezing and uh, wet for a whole other week. Well, I'll be wet, but it's actually warmer here than in Connecticut. I will be quiet.